Let's turn in the scriptures of God's Word to Matthew's Gospel. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10. Reading this this morning, verses 9 through 15. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10, verses 9 through 15. Let's pray to the Lord, ask for His help upon us. Gracious Father, thank You once again for Your Word. We're thankful that You speak to us. We're thankful that You reveal Your Son to us, that He is the King of His kingdom on earth, as we're learning here in Matthew's Gospel, and that He reigns now on high over this kingdom, which He is the head. And He has given to us officers here as we've studied, apostles. And uh, Father, we ask that You would teach us Your ways now. You grant to us to know Your love, Your salvation, Your mercy, Your grace, but also Your holiness and justice in Your judgments. And turn us from every wicked way to You and Christ Your Son and grant us life forever. In Jesus' name, Amen. Matthew chapter 10, verse 9. These are God's words. Excuse me, I'll back up to verse 8. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely ye have received, freely give. Provide neither gold nor silver nor brass in your purses, nor script for your journey, neither two coats, neither shoes, nor yet staves, for the workman is worthy of his meat. And into whatsoever city or town ye shall enter, inquire who in it is worthy, and there abide till ye go thence. And when you come into an house, salute it. And if the house be worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it be not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whosoever shall not receive you nor hear your words when ye depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment, in the day of judgment than for that city. Those are God's words. You remember uh, ending of chapter 9? Ending of chapter 9 where, where, where it has led into chapter 10, the calling of the disciples where Jesus said, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. And in the beginning of chapter 10, the last time that Jesus calling His disciples, sending them out as the apostles... And doing that, that they would go out to proclaim the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom to the Jews. To those lost sheep of the house of Israel. And He has, as we also learned, He has full and complete authority, as we prayed, to do this. To send out and to, one, ordain apostles and to send them out to proclaim such a message. The same message. He gave them. And also He has the complete authority to give them the graces, the the gifts 
of healing and the working of miracles, the casting out of devils, all these things. He has the complete authority to give that to them because He's the one who has done it Himself as the Creator and as God Himself. And with that, they were to, as they went out, to show forth that they were sent from God and even more particularly, that they were sent from Christ. That they were identifying themselves as they went to preach and teach with all authority given to them by Christ and uh, performing those miracles as Christ did. And so they were going forth uh, identifying themselves with Jesus and the message that He has performed or as He has taught. And so King Jesus is all authority. He has all authority to appoint church officers. He's given those qualifications for the officers uh, that He determines, as we read last Lord's Day in God's providence, 1 Timothy 3 in the evening. So do you realize what Jesus is doing? He's forming the New Testament continuation of that church from the Old Testament. So that it is seamless... Because there is one bride, the church of Jesus Christ in all times. All those who believe on Christ and in the earth, on the earth, uh, together with their children. The first point this morning, freely give the gospel. Freely give the gospel. You go back to verse 7. And as you go, preach saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely ye have received, freely give. So the language at the end of verse 8, freely ye have received, freely give. These graces, those gifts Christ has given to the apostles to preach the gospel and to work those various miracles, the message of the kingdom was given to the apostles to carry and to give. To give. In other words, how did they come to have this knowledge and authority and ability to perform these things and to preach the gospel? They first received them, right? They first received these things by God's grace. They received them freely. They didn't pay for them, right? They didn't pay money like Simon Magus wanted to do so he could have these miraculous gifts of healing and all things in the book of Acts, right? They didn't pay for it. They did not work for them. They did not earn them. They were given by Christ freely to them, even to those who would eventually betray Him. They were given. And so they were to go out and offer them and give them freely to all. What is true of those physical signs must, as we've learned, must also be true of those things spiritually signify ministers because this passage has 99% has to do with ministers ministers are not to be stingy in the preaching of the gospel of grace to sinners not in content what should be preached it should be the incomplete the whole counsel of God's word nor should it be Should they be stingy in who they preach it to? The hearers. These physical 
healings by those empowered by Christ here in the apostles were to stand until the end of time as a testimony to the richness and the freeness of God's grace set forth in the gospel of Christ. That's why we have it in the scriptures, in the gospels. And so the content of the gospel, preachers, are to preach the free offer of God's mercy and grace to all who have ears to hear the gospel. And if they don't have ears to physically hear, then you find another means to tell them of the great news, the good news of Jesus Christ. The content of the gospel is not to be protected. You think of the history of the church, Roman Catholicism, sacraments. They protected the sacraments from people. In other words, they kept it from people. They kept the message of the gospel from people and they uh, taught in only Latin, right? And the people who heard, they didn't know Latin, most of them. But it's not to be kept back. It's not to be kept from here. But rather all sinners who do hear should receive the full content of the gospel so that sinners who hear the promises of Christ, they, they ought to be assured that all who come to the Lord Jesus Christ by faith will not be cast out, but they would be received. And we think then of all those people who should be hearing the gospel and sometimes we... Uh, keep it back from them. Maybe we know they're a troublemaker. Maybe we know they cause problems. They have uh, drug problems, right? And they come into the church. We've had uh, a long time ago, I remember, a transvestite came into the church. Did we turn that man away, dressed like a woman? No, we didn't do that. Because they need to hear the gospel, right? They need to hear the gospel. And we want all people to come to Christ, to hear the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, to receive it, to know that they who receive and believe the gospel, repent of their sins, they will be received themselves. They will not be cast out. Because He receives all who come to Him by faith. He says, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. No sinner who comes owning his guilt and that he deserves damnation, knowing that no sinner who comes like that to the Lord Jesus Christ for forgiveness and acceptance with God will ever be turned away by Him. Ministers, therefore, to preach the gospel of free grace to all sinners. And ministers are to preach liberally, freely, that is, not only in the content only, which is only from God's Word, not only in the content of what is preached, but the bringing of the Gospel to many sinners, freely, liberally. Ministers of Christ profess, they are to profess to be what? That they are only saved by the grace of God. There are Christians saved. How are Christians saved? Only by the grace of God. Ministers. Saved, same way, only by the grace of God. How are ministers ministers? Only by the grace of God. And since they have so freely received, whether you're a Christian or you're a minister and a Christian, Lord willing, 
You are to freely, as you have freely received, you are to now freely give. This commandment is not merely to ministers. It is to all. If you have received the grace of God freely, if you have received salvation freely, you are to freely give. Present this gospel to them. You receive the gospel freely. Nobody paid paid a price. Hopefully you never paid a price. Uh, paid money to hear the gospel. As you have freely given or received, you are to freely present it to others. Give it to them. Call them to believe. Repent of their sins. Ministers have received, they've been called by the Lord to preach the Word of God. And so just as they were freely, uh, freely received the Gospel from the preaching of the Word, they are to freely give that Gospel, that same Gospel through the preaching of the Word. So they are to preach, and they are to preach a lot. Preach often, preach as much as they can according to God's grace. And preach when opportunities pre- present themselves to preach. Every minister of Christ should desire to preach Christ freely and to preach Christ far and wide and to preach Him to many sinners and without hindrance. But these words here also indicate that the effects of the gospel will be rich and full. The detail here about the physical blessing is pointing us to the sufferings of Christ's soul and accomplishing redemption will be that it will be expensive. It will be great. It will be widespread. And so that just as many were healed in their bodily diseases and demon possessions and being raised from the dead, so also Christ through His great work of redemption will deliver a huge multitude of sinners. Just as these healings, these miracles will be performed all over the place, right? He's promising spiritually, He's promising that many souls will come unto Him from a wide range of people. A great multitude. That's what Scripture teaches us. Christ redeems a great multitude, like that of a that, that of the number greater than or like the number of the stars of heaven. Can't count them. Or the sand that's on the seashore. Can't count that. It's beyond human understanding how great a number it will be. That's a great multitude. And that number, no man can number. And if that's true, that's what has been for all time and is in the future a great multitude who will believe like their father Abraham. Then just as we have freely received, ministers have freely received, we are to freely give with confidence and hope and knowing with full faith, knowing that some to whom we tell the gospel to and And some to whom we preach the gospel to, we know some will believe. We have confidence because a sovereign God who pours out His grace and Holy Spirit, we know He will save people. And so we have greater confidence to preach that word and tell that word and give that word the good news of Jesus Christ and the gospel. So freely give the gospel. Secondly, the provision of the Lord. The provision of the Lord, you see verse 9, it says, and it's freely giving, that then in their going out, the apostles going out, they would provide neither gold nor silver nor brass in your purses, nor script, that's money for your journey, neither two coats, neither shoes, nor yet staves, 
For the workman is worthy of his meat. The workman is worthy of his meat. In order to show forth the freeness with which they shall labor, they should labor as they had freely received, so now they are to freely give, to show this freeness of giving and laboring for the kingdom, for Christ, as well as demonstrate their confidence in Christ and not themselves, nor to be tempted to covetousness. They're here called upon by the king and the head of the church, Jesus Christ, to not take extras with them as they go out and freely give. Don't bring money. Don't bring an extra coat. Don't bring extra shoot. Nothing. You don't need it. As you go forward, minister freely. Trust the Lord in His providence to provide for you. Depend upon Him and the working of His grace in His people by responding to the preaching of the gospel by providing for you, apostles. They're going to respond, they're going to believe, and they will provide for you. And I'm going to use them to provide for you. But it's not always this way, friends. Luke chapter 22. So this is near uh, His death and resurrection, right? Here we're at the beginning of His ministry, here in Luke 22. Or there in Luke 22, it's near the end of His ministry. And He said unto them, When I sent you without purse and script and shoes, lacked ye anything? And they said, Nothing. Then said He unto them, But now he that hath a purse, let him take it, and likewise his script. And he that hath no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. And so, friends, not only do we see here that they never had a lack of anything as they went out, trusting in Him to provide. As the people received the Gospel, they provided, and the Lord through them provided for the apostles. So we see in Luke 22, we can deduce that it's not sinful or a lack of faith to save up and to make advanced provision. It's not sinful to do that. Though we should trust the Lord when we cannot save, that we cannot make or provide or prepare advanced provision. It's not sinful if we cannot do so. And we should trust the Lord when we are told not to do so. When we are, to, we are told not to save. Right? And both are true. We learn from this that we are to use lawful, that is, in accordance with God's law. Lawful means for our provision and safety. But we are not to depend upon those means as sufficient in themselves. As an automatic or as an automatic guarantee of success and safety, so he's, he encourages us to prepare, to be ready, to save up. But that's not necessarily going to provide for your success and safety. Psalm one twenty seven. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh, but in vain. The normal appointed means of provision and safety are only effective, in other words, they're only effective by the blessing of God. 
And the Lord can, as He did here in our passage, command them not to employ those means and still He provided for them in His providence. Those means, friends, can God can bless uh, and He can bless without those means. He can cause those means to be, even when you save and you prepare, He can make those provisions, those means ineffectual. Because He's the sovereign God. But He always cares for His people. So don't, don't trust, don't depend upon your own endeavors on yourselves for provision and preservation. But that also does not mean we abandon those endeavors, those lawful means God gives to us in His work. For a man who does not work shall not eat. And yet we have also seen Psalm 37, I have been young and now am old. Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread? And above all, we do not turn to unlawful means of provision and preservation. So let's say gambling or stealing. Christ's word at this time, although it was temporary for the apostles here as they went out, was that they were to make no provision. So that they would see His hand and providence at work in His kingdom. Because He's the King of His kingdom. He wanted them to see this. To grant them greater faith. God commands that we take normal, wise measures in accordance with His word for our provision and safety. But the Lord can go above and beyond ordinary means. As He here shows. But even when it's lawful, as it is now to employ those means, in the work of provision, safety, only the Lord can make them effectual for our good. That here speaks of the provision of the Lord to His people and to all of us in application. Thirdly, the Gospel's value. The Gospel's value. End of verse 10. For the workman is worthy of his meat. And into whatsoever city or town ye shall enter, inquire who in it is worthy. And there abide till ye go thence. And when ye come into an house, salute it. And if the house be worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it be not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear your words, when ye depart out of that house or city... Shake off the dust of your feet. This has application in two areas. First, to ministers. Ministers should value the gospel that they preach. Ministers, they are, to, they are here described as workmen. The workman is worthy of his meat. The ministers, therefore, are to work. They should work and they should not hide behind the office of minister. But work, right? A lazy minister is a living contradiction. The living contradiction. They should work and they should work in that which they are called to do. To preach the gospel. Preaching the word of God. Ministers can be busybodies focusing on many other things that have nothing to do with their calling. I remember in one of my internships uh, before becoming a minister, I had a pastor who I was interning with. 
And he was always in meetings. Meetings for this and that. And most of those meetings were not had nothing to do with the gospel. Most of those meetings had nothing to do with meeting with the people in the church, the, the congregation. Just meeting with people in the community. But you, I would go to those meetings with them and some, on some occasions. It wasn't to tell them the gospel. It was just to meet. To do just like a business, create connections. Right? Ministers are not called to that. Or many other things. They're to labor in the Word. Literally, the reason we have deacons is so ministers can labor in the Word and prayer. Acts chapter 6. When ministers are lazy and they don't work on their calling, or if they work and they work and it's not on that which they have been called to, to minister the Gospel, that is an attack on the Gospel. Such a minister is saying, by his action in other things outside of the Gospel, or non-action in that Gospel, in the good news, that the Gospel is not worth preaching. It's not valuable. It's not the most valuable thing that we have in all the world. And it is. It's the most valuable thing any of us have. The Gospel. Or else, the preaching of the Word of God is such an insignificant thing that he doesn't need to give his time to it. And so ministers themselves should value the gospel which should be preached. And sometimes it isn't preached at all. They have to give themselves to the preaching of the Word of God so that they could truly be described as a workman who, labor, who labors in the Word and in doctrine, as the Scripture says. Ministers is the first application, but also hearers. Hearers, most of all, all of us here today, hearers. The gospel should be valued by the hearers of the gospel. End of verse 10 again. For the workman is worthy of his meat. This principle is found in various parts of Scripture. We talked about it on a few occasions. Uh, Romans 15, in the context of the church. It says, it hath pleased them verily, and their debtors they are. For the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things. Their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. Those who benefit, there's the principle there, those who benefit in spiritual things from another should seek to benefit those same people in physical things. 1 Corinthians 9. It says, who goeth a warfare any time at his own charges? Who planteth a vineyard and eateth not of the fruit thereof? Or who feedeth a flock and eateth not of the milk of the flock? Say I these things as a man, or saith not the law the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God take care of for oxen? Or saith he it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he that plows should plow in hope, and that he that thresheth in hope should be partakers of his hope. If we have sown unto you spiritual things, that's the apostles sowing the seed of the gospel uh, to the hearers in Corinth. If we have sown unto you spiritual things, it is a great thing if we shall 
is it a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things? Do you not know that they which minister about holy things live on the things of the temple? And they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar? Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. In Galatians 6, let him that is taught in the word communicate, that is, share with, unto him that teacheth in all good things. And so here Jesus in our passage of principle uh, for them in their going out, they were to seek any known friends of the truth. Verse 11. And into whatsoever city or town ye shall enter, inquire who in it is worthy, and there abide till ye go thence. They were to seek out friends of the gospel, lodge there, or friends who were known to be godly. Ministers, therefore, should not be standoffish or independent of the fellowship of the people of God. Our ministers aren't to look for fancy hotels and grander homes to stay in. If they find godly people who love the truth with whom they are welcome, then as long as they stay in that place, the minister of the gospel of the kingdom, they should stay in that home. They should not be discontented about the accommodations a family provides. So as a congregation, application, when a minister comes, visits, Every single family here should be jumping to serve. To show yourself godly. Knowing that the word that that minister is carrying is worthy to be so accommodated. Right? Upon entering the house, the minister is to come in peace and to seek to keep happiness in the home. So when a minister comes into that home, what should they be doing? Just staying there? Just using the bed? No. They should be teaching. And teaching about reconciliation in Christ. Peace. Verse 12. And when you come into a house, salute it. And if the house be worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it be not worthy, let your peace return to you. And so if they're invited to come into a godly family, and that seemingly godly family turns away from the Lord when the gospel is proclaimed. Right? Think of in the first century when there's a Jewish people. All these are Jewish people that he's talking about. They're going to go out to these Jewish people. And uh, some people who seem to be godly, seem to follow the law, they go to the synagogue every Sabbath. And so they go into the home and they, the apostles preach the gospel. The Messiah has come. It's Jesus Christ. He's going to come. And He's going to suffer for His people. And that family that appeared to be godly turns away from the Lord when they hear the Gospel. And so now they're found not worthy to have heard it. Then let, it says to the apostles, let your peace return to you. That is, know that all those prayers... All that you preached and taught, all those good desires for that house that you desired for that house to have, all those will be void of nothing, no effect. To go and bless, go out and go and bless another family, another home with the good news. There can be no real peace without, without the gospel. Those who despise the gospel cannot have true peace. 
The previous desire of peace will not benefit the original unworthy house, but it will benefit them because those who brought it, brought the message. Because they came into their home in the first place, and the Lord says to go on and find another home. If a house despises the gospel, and an entire if an entire city despises the gospel and rejects it, rejects therefore the Lord, rejects Jesus Christ, then you are to shake the dust off your feet, he says. Shake the dust off your feet. For the context, the Jews, when they traveled outside of Israel and they re-entered into Israel, they would shake the dust off their feet to avoid being bringing unceremonial, or excuse me, from bringing ceremonial uncleanness back into Israel. Unholy things back with them into the land of promise. But they were not just doing this because they're those outside Israel were foreigners, but because they rejected the Gospel. And such a great distinction between those who receive the Gospel, those who reject the Gospel. And so now even in Israel, this same symbolism of disassociation, of all rejection of the Gospel, was to be used. Shaking the dust off the feet. Even after the resurrection... The apostles continued to do this. Acts 13, it says, But the Jews stirred up the devout and honorable women and the chief men of the city and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of their coasts. Why? Because they were preaching the gospel. But they shook off the dust of their feet against them and came unto Iconium. They went to another city. They shook the dust off their feet and came to a different city. To bring the gospel. Rejection of those who had rejected them. Because in rejecting the apostles, what were they doing? In rejecting the messengers sent by Jesus Christ, they were rejecting Jesus Christ. They were rejecting the good news of salvation, their master, Jesus Christ, their king. And the message of the gospel He was sending them. God views how the gospel... This is important. God views how the gospel and its preachers are treated. Because in rejecting the apostles, they were rejecting Christ. He observes that even within the professing churches today. He observes the gospel preached, how it is received, and how ministers are treated. 2 Chronicles 36, speaking of Israel, God's people. Moreover, all the chief priests and the people transgressed very much after all the abominations of the heathen, and polluted the house of the Lord, which He had hallowed in Jerusalem. And the Lord God of their father sent to them by His messengers, rising up betimes and sending, because He had compassion on His people and on His dwelling place. But they mocked the messengers of God and despised His words and misused His prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against His people, till there was no remedy. Jehovah saw what Israel did. Their idolatry and their abominations he saw. But what else did he see? What else did he take account of? He saw and took account of what what they did with the truth when it was preached to them. And what they did to the messengers that brought that truth which he sent to them. There's an assumption today that stems from unbelief that churches can oppose the gospel. 
Churches can oppose ministers of the gospel. And they can do go on doing that, and Jehovah will not care. But He does care. He does care. You say you don't, they don't see. He doesn't see. He's not going to do anything, but He does see. And He does respond. He judges people. He judges churches that despise the preaching of the Word. He, he judges churches that despise the preachers of the Word. Just as they did of old to the prophets. So here the Lord Jesus shows that the Gospel ought to be so well received because it's so valuable and precious even as we heard in Song of Solomon in chapter 5. But those who minister that Gospel are to be considered no burden but a blessing. And so the Gospel's value is great and greater than any other thing on this earth. And the fourth, the judgment. The judgment. Verse 15. Verily I say unto you. So here's his conclusion. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. This teaches us first, friends, there is a day of judgment. True gospel preaching will be owned at that day of judgment. On the day of judgment, when all the preaching of the gospel, the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ will be brought out, a calling to account of those not only who preached it, they'll be held to a double account, but those who heard that preaching. And you'll have to give an account of what you did when you heard the glorious truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you heard the gospel preached, and so it says, on that day of judgment, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. What city is he talking about? Verse 14. And whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear your words, when you depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. The city that does not receive the true gospel ministers. The city that does not hear and receive the minister's words. The preaching of the gospel. Why would they not receive the minister and his words? Because they were according to the truth of God. That's why they didn't receive it. The gospel found in his word. The sin of Sodom. When you look through the scriptures, the sin of Sodom is... That's like the greatest sin, right? That's what we often think. We all know that Sodom filled with sexual sin and perversion, homosexuality. And the Scriptures tell us what happened in judgment for that city's gross heinous sins. That is, for that city's rejection of the truth of the Gospel. Because Christ came to them and they rejected Him. Jehovah rained down fire and brimstone from heaven upon Sodom and Gomorrah. In Jude 7, we're told that they are set down as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Sodom and Gomorrah. Set down as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. The Lord detests sodomy. Detests it. And no amount of waffling uh, today by overseers and bishops and pastors in the church will alter his view. He detests it. He hates it. Those practicing these things have 
uh, maneuvered and lobbied and manipulated and intimidated people who will not who who have no root in God's word into making it acceptable in society and in uh, sadly even in some parts of the church. But that will not alter in the slightest the abhorrence that God has towards those sins. The sin of this nation is greater than Sodom's. Because our nation approves of these things in the face of a completed Word of God. Sodom didn't have the completed Word of God. They didn't have that except for what was taught up until that time. To the time of Abraham and Lot. Sodom and Gomorrah didn't have a complete Bible as we do. And yet he still overthrew them and obliterated them from the face of the earth. But rejecting the gospel, as we often put Sodom and Gomorrah at the the most heinous of sin. Rejecting the gospel is far worse than that. Than sodomy and uh, sexual perversions. It says here, It shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. That city that rejects the gospel, that rejects the ministers of the gospel, that rejects Christ. And so we see here also there are degrees of punishment in hell or in the judgment. Luke chapter 12. And that servant which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not, that is, he didn't know the Lord's will, his Lord's will, his master's will. He knew, but he that knew not and did commit these things worthy of stripes, shall be beaten with few stripes. So there's many stripes to the one who knew what they should have done but didn't do it. And there were few stripes that were given to the one who didn't know. There were stripes in both cases. Judgment in both cases. But there's degree of that punishment. For unto whomsoever much is given. Right? Verse 8. Unto whom much is given, of him shall be much required. And to whom men who have and to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. So gospel rejection renders one more guilty than the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah. John chapter three, and this is the condemnation that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light. There is condemnation with the light of the gospel because we're sinners. Romans 2, for as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law. Those without the Word of God, written Word of God, even as the Gentiles, those without the Gospel, they will perish because they're sinners against God. But this is the crowning guilty. The men that would hear the Gospel of salvation and despise it. This is the condemnation and it's here a promise of greater judgment of those who know the truth and yet still reject it. A greater judgment than Sodom and Gomorrah. The privilege of light, the privilege of light brings great responsibility before God. 
Think of the privileges you have. The babies in the womb. All the way to the oldest amongst us here. To be born in a place, in a nation even, where you can have a whole Bible easily, readily accessible. Multitudes of nations and languages where Bibles have not been translated at all. Or even some just a little bit. But many, not at all. We have it all in abundance. And churches where ministers proclaim it all the more. Responsibility to our nation and those who hear it. You have heard it so many times, but what have you done with this gospel that you've heard? If the answer is nothing, then He promises here, then it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah. Go back and read Genesis and what that says. In the day of judgment, then for you. Rejection of the gospel is an expression of enmity towards God, towards Jesus Christ. It's also an expression of ingratitude towards His kindness and mercy. Second Chronicles 36, we read, Jehovah sent the prophets with the message to the people because He had compassion on the people. Romans 2, Or despisest thou the riches of, the, of His goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? But after thy hardness and impenitent heart, treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. He came in great goodness and forbearance and longsuffering. He was patient. Out of His mercy, He gave you the truth, the goodness of the Gospel, Jesus Christ. But those who hardened their hearts to that same Gospel and rejected it, treasure wrath instead of the goodness and mercy of God. Treasure up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. So from these verses, it's self-evident that the Lord shows goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering patience, such goodness that ought to lead and is giving us the Word every Lord's Day. Giving us the Word that it ought to lead to repentance, but yet some, perhaps you, still go out into the hardness and impenitent heart that you have, continuing to reject Jesus Christ and His mercy. Therefore, treasuring up unto yourself now wrath and guilt and condemnation to be displayed at the revelation of the righteous judgment of God, which judgment to you, if you are that person who rejects the gospel still, will be far greater than the judgment that came upon Sodom and Gomorrah for all eternity. And to you, this is the word of salvation sent. It hasn't come to you by accident. And you're here today hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. The reason you've heard the gospel is because God and His eternal purposes and sovereign uh, providence and that He has brought you to hear the gospel today and sends it to you through a minister of the gospel. And it coming to you will either be the means of an effectual salvation unto eternal life and glory and blessedness forever or... 
If you reject it, it will be a means of increasing your guilt and eternal condemnation. On such a day of the riches of the Lord's goodness offered to you and mercy, come and receive the Gospel preached to you that Christ died on the cross that all who believe on Him would no longer be slaves of sin as we heard last Lord's Day, but you would come and not be under the judgment, but be saved from that judgment and the righteousness of Christ. Believe on Him while you're still on this earth and not in the eternal damnations And if you don't, the eternal damnations that you deserve for your sins will come upon you. Seek the Lord. Seek Him while He may be found. For He comes in mercy to forgive you of your sins if you would just come to Him and believe and repent of those sins. And He'll take away your guilt. He'll take away the condemnation for He received it there on the cross. But if you reject Him, You're guilty before God. Do you see that you're guilty before God in your sin? If you're continuing in your sin, you've never turned to Christ, you're guilty. You deserve judgment from God. There is one, only one who can remove that guilt. There's only one who can remove the condemnation, the eternal judgments, and the wrath of God upon you. There's only one who can take that away. It is Jesus Christ. Turn to Christ and believe on Him. And receive unending peace and grace. But if you don't believe today, if you do not turn to Jesus, you don't receive the gospel, if you don't receive the gospel message delivered by the minister of God, and you reject the minister of God who brings a true word, Jesus says, Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for you. So believe. You don't want that. None of us here wants that. So believe. Believe on Christ. And in Him found worthy of eternal life in Him. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, we give You praise once again for the free offer of the good news of Jesus Christ. We pray that we would all have, from the ones in the womb still, all the way to the oldest amongst us, all of us would receive as godly hearers, Your Word and the good news. And we would turn from our sins and believe on Christ. Even as Christians, we would turn from our sins and believe on Christ again and continue to seek Him and want communion with Him and desire Him, for He is beautiful. He is awesome, wonderful. And He is so much of a blessing to us. Father, we pray that You would hear Him. And You would receive us for Christ's sake. And turn us from our sins. Grant us faith by Your Spirit, by Your grace. And Father, make us, as we freely receive, to go out and freely give. Not only to one another, not only to those in the church, but those of the world who reject You even right now. That we might see Your power and Your glory. And your blessing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.